0: get so many good questions sent to us here at the Naked Scientists that unfortunately we can't fit them all into our monthly question and answer shows. So here's an extra slice of science for you from our November 2018 Q&A. Roger got in touch to ask whether artificial intelligence will be making medicines in the future and we also heard from Sean about some rather intelligent ravens. So here's Chris Smith talking to Tim Revel from New Scientist, ecologist Danny Green from Anglia Ruskin University and climate scientist James Pope from the British Antarctic Survey.
1: Now, Tim, can you help us with this one from Roger on the Naked Scientist Forum? This is nakedscientist.com slash forum. And Roger is asking, will AI, that's artificial intelligence, find all of the chemicals we're going to need to make new medicines or... Are chemists able to breathe a sigh of relief, we will still need them into the future. First of all, what's AI and why would AI, artificial intelligence, mean that chemists could be out of a job at all?
0: Okay, so AI is a a very, very broad term for mimicking human intelligence with a machine and that can be done in many, many different ways. Um, But one of the reasons people are talking about um, chemistry and medicines in relation to AI of late is just how many impressive successes there have been in the field of AI. So one of the most famous ones of these of late is from DeepMind, and they're a company based in London and now owned by Google. And they made this uh, artificial intelligence called AlphaGo. Now, AlphaGo just plays a board game. It's a board game called Go that's really popular in China. But what's amazing about Go is that Unlike chess, a computer can't just solve it. You can't just work out all of the possibilities and which is the best move at any particular point in time because there are more possibilities than there are atoms in the universe.
1: Is that how the deep blue that beat Garry Kasparov, is that how it works then? It basically worked out every move on the chessboard and said which one's the best one? Essentially, yes. So at any given point, at any given state of the game, it could
0: say, right, this is what I should do next and that would be the most likely thing that would win. But in terms of Go, you can't just do that. You've got to be able to navigate a huge number of possibilities without actually knowing what will happen next. And this is quite similar to how you find a medicine. You have to look at all the different possible things that can go into a medicine, all the different ways a protein can fold, all the different ways uh, molecules can be put together. And so there is lots of hope that an AI that is good at Go might eventually be good at creating medicines. Now, the thing is, no one's actually really done that yet. Uh, AlphaGo has become the best Go player in the world. It's beaten the grandmasters, and it, there is no player that can beat it, but it has yet to create a medicine. But almost every uh, pharmaceutical company now has AI researchers, and they are working and hoping that this is the future of medicine.
1: We're talking of very bright things. I got this email which I wanted to share with everybody. It's come from Sean, who is in Australia. And uh, Sean says, I listened with great interest about uh, your discussion of an experiment investigating the intelligence of crows because we were talking on another Q&A show, a bit like this one, about how people had done studies on these New Caledonian crows and they would put these crows into a box and in the box was another box or a cage and in this box they could see a reward or a treat and there was a little slot which was not bird-sized so they could see the treat but they couldn't get at the treat and also in the room with the birds were these two bits of, let's call them wood or two sticks and they were each too short to reach the food item but if you were to link them together because they made it so you could plug one into the end of the other and make a long stick you then had a tool that was long enough to get the food the birds had never seen any of this apparatus before so they just put them in this box and let them go And amazingly, half of them worked out that they could stick these two bits of wood together, make a very long stick and then feed it through the hole and retrieve the treat. Half of them. That's incredible, isn't it? I mean, not even a three-year-old human half the time would know how to do that. But anyway, Sean was listening to that, and Sean says, um, I thought you'd be interested in an observation I made involving some ravens in the Adelaide Hills here in Australia where I live. A few years ago, I arrived home to find a dead brown snake on my drive. Now, you, you can tell everyone, Danny, brown snakes not nice. They're not bad business, aren't they? Brown I remember... Mean- I remember when I was a child I saw a lovely big brown snake and I said to mum and dad oh there's a pretty worm and I went to try to go and pick it up and it, luckily it just sort of sidled away quite calmly but I did try to go and give it a hug But they're not nice <laughs> so are they? I mean there are deaths every year Yeah they're pretty dangerous <laughs> Anyway he says he arrives home and finds this dead brown snake on the drive He said I thought I'd observe from a distance to make sure it was indeed dead because brown snakes are highly venomous I waited for a while I waited a raven flew down and it attempted to pick up the snake and fly away with it Unfortunately for the raven, the snake must have been too heavy because it could just about lift it a bit off the gravel before it had to drop it again. After a few attempts, it gave up and it flew away. I thought, I'll just finish my drink and then I'll... I bet it was having a beer. Um, I'll just finish my drink and then I'll go back and I'll deal with the dead snake. Just as I started to walk up the drive, the raven came back with a friend. I watched in awe as they each grabbed an end... And between them, flew off with their prize. I hope you find this as interesting as I did. That's amazing, isn't it, these things? Yeah, I think,
0: I mean, animals are amazing. It wasn't that long ago that we didn't think animals were able to use tools at all. That wasn't that long ago. And then you sort of see how, uh, first of all, looking at uh, various great apes that can use tools, and then now that you see that various birds can use tools. I think we're just discovering more and more how amazing their brains are and that, you know, maybe we're not as clever and alone in our ability to use tools as we think we
1: are. Well, you're talking about some um, computer chemists and things, solving yeah. medical problems. I did interview a chap a few years ago who was using pigeons to look for cancer. Mm. And uh, do you remember this? You, you see yeah, the story? I remember that, yeah. And he called it flock sourcing. <laughs> what he'd do is he showed <laughs> show lovely. these pigeons pictures of of biopsies, you know, small samples of cancer. Mm. And every time the pigeons pecked at the picture when it was cancer, he gave them a treat. And if they didn't peck at the picture when it was cancer, they didn't give them a treat. Anyway, um, they got to the point where the pigeon flock was better than a pathologist at diagnosing cancer because pigeons have an amazing visual system. And so they just began to learn very, very well what the patterns were that signified a a malignant lesion. So I I guess the AI system, it's not really that different from that. You just train it on on something and then tell it what the target is you want it to find.
0: Yeah. So what's, what's interesting about AI is it in very niche circumstances, it can become incredible at what it does. So Go as an example of that, it becomes the best Go player in the world. But if you asked AlphaGo to do anything else, it would be absolutely terrible and we're talking like the most basic task ask it to spell a word like a four-letter word it wouldn't know how to at all you'd have to train it right from the beginning so it'd be crap at spelling yeah it'd be absolutely it wouldn't be able to spell crap that's how bad it would be (laughs) um and so that's something that people are also working on how you can make machines that are not just very good at one specific task but are able to adapt to a multiple of tasks like all animals can james and i mean machine learning tools are becoming really important in climate science um And there's a real growing movement to use them to sort of analyse the patterns we see in the huge swathes of data we're able to observe these days. So it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's permeating everywhere. Climate scientist James Pope from the British Antarctic Survey was ending that discussion. And you also heard from ecologist Danny Green from Anglia Ruskin University, Tim Revel from New Scientist and Chris Smith.